since we're doing definitions, a junket is a pleasure trip often funded by someone else. Okay. You've probably heard of a politician taking a junket to a fancy resort, all paid for using taxpayer money. Yeah. So, so I think what you're doing is kind of like in between a boondoggle and a junket. <laughs> no, it's, my whole point was that it's not. <laughs> Nick, did you know that ThomasNet has marketing services like SEO and video? You know, I knew they did something with marketing, but I didn't know that. Tell me more. Yeah, you should find more about this. The ThomasNet team includes digital marketers and degreed engineers who understand the complexities of manufacturing. They know the keywords that buyers are searching for, and I know that's important to you. Absolutely, man, because it's so easy to be fake in this industry, and it's really important that people actually know the words that manufacturing leaders use. So visit thomasnet.com today to view their industrial digital marketing services and learn more about the marketing solutions that have helped thousands of manufacturers grow. Awesome, man. Nick, have you ever scared someone with your prospecting? I personally haven't, but somebody just scared my wife trying to sell painting services at my house. What happened? I got this ring doorbell thing for Christmas for her, and it was the worst present ever because all it does is alarm her. Make her anxious? Yeah. We're always getting robbed, apparently. But no, some guy was just trying to get some business. All right. Let's talk about how to do prospecting better. Let's do it. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. Hey guys, it's Nick and Jason recording live from our Making Chips headquarters in Rockford, Illinois. Near the boring bar. Yeah, that's right, man. And you already mixed us up some drinks. I did. It's a little early, but it's the holidays, so whatever. We're not going to judge each other. But man, thank God we are able to record today because I was fanatically prospecting for batteries and an SD card for our recorder. Yeah, to make sure that we could do this. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Well, this is a good time of year to start thinking about your sales pipeline because you got to think about, okay, January 1st is going to hit and I'm starting on a zero in sales. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we probably have backlogs to work off of and everything like that. But I have to think about hunting for new business. I'm a top line focused guy in my role and that's what I'm fanatical about. Yeah. I mean, everybody's talking about the recession. So it's what a better time to start thinking about how you do this better. Yeah. So what would you say you are a fanatic about when it comes to your business? So if you were to use EOS terms, my role being visionary, one of my most important things that I do is to cultivate new relationships. So like I love meeting new people. Like Mm -hmm. it's not a job for me. Like I love talking to people, meeting new people, asking them questions, getting their perspective on manufacturing and just life in general. And sometimes that parlays into a business relationship and sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. But like I'm always having those conversations and cultivating those relationships. So for me, it's like always prospecting. Yeah. Always nurturing new relationships. One of the things I think I've told the story on making chips before. One of the funny things that one of my wife's girlfriends said to her is she went to my wife one day and she was like, Jason doesn't do small talk, does he? Yeah. (laughs) It's like, no, I don't. I'm like, I do big talk. I do big talk. I never thought about it as big talk, but like, I like to talk about important things. You know what I mean? Like business life, you know, about that. Oh, there is. Yeah. My little brother sent it to me and it, 
was just about this person who's like, we do too much small talk and we never oh, get I into hate like small deeper talk. issues. It was like an Asian woman who was the presenter. Okay. If you look it up, you'll yeah. find it. It was really good. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. Thank you. Like, I want to find that. I mean, because I just like the most important thing to me is just kind of like having an eternal view of your life. But mm-hmm. I also love to talk about theology and I also love talking about business. Yeah. So like, I would love to just, if I'm at a I think that's what party. it's called. I think it's called Big Talk. Oh, really? Oh, nice. And it's okay. a TED Talk. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, like, I don't know. I don't watch football. I don't watch baseball. I can't quote statistics. I probably should get better at that because, like, that's where guys tend to congregate around. I do around, watch a lot of football. Yeah. Both European and domestic. There you go. Football. Yeah. The both kinds. That's the whole argument on all the commercials now. Is it football or soccer? But yeah. Yeah. I get it. And I'm with you. I think there's too much small talk. So, so. Speaking of talk, we should talk about prospecting. But before we go there... There's always news, right? Well, there's always news. Also, is there anything new going on in your business that you want to talk about? I want to talk about prospecting. Honestly, that's why I structured this episode the way I did. It's something that I'm really focused on. And I think I should say we're going to go to our sales summit, which we go like to an all-inclusive resort. I take the sales team and we just... Nice little write-off. Yeah, we like set the vision and we make sure it's strategic. Like we do have some fun, but it's not all just So this is strategic... It's not a junket at all. Planning... Or specifically around sales. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. we call it the sales summit. Yeah. And yeah, that's what's new. That comes up uh, right at the end of January. So what did you call it? The sales a summit. Junket? A junket is like a term for like a fake business thing that it's just a write-off, but you don't do any real work. My wife used to have a word that she used for something like that. And I forgot what it's called. She had another word. It'll, it'll probably come to my mind at some point in the future, but it was something like junket. I'll think about yeah, it, what it was. That's what my dad called. It's a real word, man. Yeah. So anyway, the news. So we're going to be focusing on the future and think it's important for anyone in metalworking to think about the industries that they're serving and what the outlook looks like there. For us and for many of the listeners, the aerospace and defense industry is a big deal. Yeah, it is. And so we don't actually make aerospace parts, but we make fixtures for people who make aerospace parts. And so I found the 2023 Aerospace and Defense Industry Outlook from Deloitte. Okay, like that'll be interesting. Pretty so, famous well, like, research all, company. In so. 2022, how was aerospace and defense? Or as they call it, A&D? Yeah, so for us, it wasn't booming in terms of how it impacted our business. I don't know how it was for everybody else. I know like our good friend and former co-host Jim Carr had a lot of growth in that area. I know like we serve commercial aerospace manufacturers, like some of the big ones that probably would be in the top three of who you're thinking of. And they were working off a huge backlog. Okay. So there wasn't a lot of like new machining that was coming our way. Okay. But according to what I'm about to read, I think that might change. So Okay, let's hear it. So according to Deloitte's Outlook survey, 88% of those surveyed in the aerospace and defense sector, the senior executives indicated that they believe the general business outlook for that industry in the next year is somewhat to very positive. Oh, that's good to hear. There are more reasons for this optimistic outlook. These include growth in new technologies and segments such as AAM. Well, hold on. What's AAM? It's advanced air mobility. So you see these like drones that all the kids are flying around and they're often used to like drop missiles and stuff. So imagine a very big one that moves a person around. Okay. That would be an example of advanced air mobility. I just saw something that was posted on one of the social media sites. Some kid won some award, like a 17-year-old kid for developing a drone that can use to detect what are those bombs that are called that are like... IEDs? Yeah, that are dug into the ground. Yeah, IEDs. I think it was in like Russia and Ukraine. So yeah, yeah, he won some 
awesome. award for doing that. Okay, go on. So basically the growth in these new technologies and a lot of how these business models are evolving to include new things like space and the use of the digital thread and smart factories and all these factors are going to help the industry grow and create new markets in the coming year. Yeah, and new manufacturing opportunities in the United States. Yeah, and along with that, on the talent required to serve all this growth. We need people. Yeah, guess what? The aerospace and defense industry is struggling as well. And here's what's Just so like every crazy. industry. Yeah, but I would assume that like aerospace and defense is a big attractor for people. Like they want to work in that kind of an industry. Well, you would think. And here's like some everybody, of the like why. I want to work for SpaceX or something like that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And here's some of the reasons why if you don't want to, or if kids don't want to, they should. So according to Deloitte's Outlook survey, three out of five senior industry executives surveyed believed that offering clearer pathways for career progression is the best strategy to attract, retain, and develop top talent. Because you may start with one job and then it evolves into something a lot better more lucrative for the individual. But making that path clear is something that the employers need to focus on. The U.S. aerospace and defense industry continues to pay wages above the national average. The average U.S. production worker wage in A&D, aerospace and defense, is $91,500, 81% above the national average. Wow. So it's like, yeah, why wouldn't you want a career there? Right, absolutely. And they'll probably pay for you to learn your craft anyway. So all of that was an interesting takeaway from the report. The other one that's a good segue into what we're going to talk about today, which is prospecting, is that they asked a question in this report, and the question was, in your view, what is the top priority for your organization to build and manage supply chain resiliency over the next year? Okay. And the most common answer, 36% said diversifying the supplier base for critical supplies. So that has to do with like nearshoring, I would assume, and stuff yeah, like and that. Yeah, and just finding new suppliers, like not being so all Dependent. eggs in one basket. Yep. yep. So the second most popular answer was improving visibility into risks and performance in lower supply chain tiers. Which is kind of related. Yep. And the third one is localizing the supply chain and promoting friendshoring, which is what you described, shifting manufacturing to countries with trade agreements. And all of those things are pretty related to each other. Yeah. So we're going to talk about prospecting for new business and the number one answer was diversifying the supplier base. So what a segue, right? So there's a motivation for OEMs to diversify their supply base. So get out there and call them and let them know that you're one of them. Yeah, exactly. So before we get into the episode, I did text my wife while we were sitting here and the word, you'll have to mention this to your dad, that she used is a boondoggle. A boondoggle. Which there's actually a definition for a boondoggle, which is work or activity that is wasteful or pointless, but gives the appearance of having value. Okay. So I remember what she used to tell me when she worked in the finance industry is that they had a lot of boondoggles. Okay. That doesn't surprise me. They don't really do that anymore. But yeah, that was the word that came to mind Yeah. when you mentioned a junket. Since we're doing definitions, a junket is a pleasure trip often funded by someone else. Okay. You've probably heard of a politician taking a junket to a fancy resort, all paid for using taxpayer money. Yeah. So, so I think what you're doing is kind of like in between a boondoggle and a junket. <laughs> no, it's, my whole point was that it's not. <laughs> we actually like everyone prepares for it. But you can do this in Rockford, not Mexico, right? Yeah. No, but there's the whole, like these guys are all regional. You're making memories. Yeah. It's a culture development thing. It's part of the package that these employees get when they come and work for the Golner family. <laughs> okay. We'll stop. All right. So I actually want to start implementing more of that into the culture of my company. We do local boondoggles. Yeah, so we don't do Mexico sure. boondoggles. All right, so let's get into the episode. So 
we do a lot of definitions. And just to make sure it's clear, when we say prospecting, what do we mean? What is a prospect? It's somebody that hasn't bought from you, I would assume, but you want them to. Yeah, like a potential customer. Right. And that's what a prospect is. What is prospecting? It's searching for and reaching out to potential customers. So pretty common sense so far. It's kind of like what just happened to your wife when that painter dropped the pamphlet off at your front door and she got scared because somebody came to the door and she couldn't see anybody. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the buying window later in this episode. And he missed his buying window. We just like did some painting, but the guy's doing his job. He's out there prospecting. Exactly. So if I'm just going to keep it super simple, and tell you that prospecting is the most important activity for a salesperson, it would kind of seem like a common sense statement, right? Do you think looking for... See, I would argue with you as far as this goes. I think that cultivating and maintaining your current relationships is the most important. I guess it depends on how you define a salesperson. Yeah. Well, okay. So we're talking about like new business development versus account management. Your industry is like integrated vending and supply. daily needs. You know what I mean? I would still challenge what you just said and say like, let's assume that when you have a customer and they've experienced the Zenger's way, right? Or the black industrial way that they're going to find a lot of value in that. Of course. So after a certain amount of time, they're not going to like every single time they buy something like look elsewhere and try. Right. Yeah. Okay. But it takes time to get there. So the real equation for growing your business is still more about like getting more key accounts True. that you can do account management. True. So that would be the argument for like prospecting needs. And to that's be a always the rub between account management and sales is like if you're a big enough company, you can split those apart. But most companies like ours, it's the same. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really interested in this subject matter because for a long time, we've had outside salespeople who have been responsible for account management and sales and everything. And what we've discovered, and COVID has kind of accelerated this, is that your sales team spends the majority of their time with their biggest customers, almost exclusively. We have a gentleman starting on January 3rd, which at the time of this podcast being released, he's already started, Phil, who is going to be a dedicated inside sales account manager. So his job is going to be reaching out to customers that maybe haven't had the pleasure of having one of our account managers contact them and service them because they probably didn't spend enough. Oh, they, they didn't like graduate to the kind of like white glove integrated exactly. treatment. Exactly. And yeah. so now he's going to be reaching out to those clients and saying, hey, how can I be of service to yeah. you? And so I think they're both important. Don't get me wrong. Like my reviews for salespeople are kind of three parts. New business to development is really driven by prospecting, key account management, which we just talked about, and then building a brand, like all the things you do to keep your brand in front of people and tell success stories and all that. But the reason why I need to focus on this, and it's such a priority for my team this year, is you just hit the nail on the head. Everyone gravitates towards key account management. It's easier. It's more comfortable. Yeah. Everyone likes to take care of the relationships you already have. It's also where like you're probably needed the least in a lot of cases. Like in my case, once I've connected the customer to my internal team, you don't have to like get a salesperson stamp on every interaction. It takes a special person that wants to reach out to multiple people and get the phone hung up on them or the door closed in their face or told, no, I actually... I'm not interested to get those new accounts in the door. It's a grind, man. And 
people avoid it. They find anything else they can do instead of prospecting. There's some people that thrive on it. And those are the superstars, though. The people really prioritize and carve out time are the superstars. See, I like that side of things, and I'm not good on the account management side because I don't have the consistency to be able to do that on a daily basis. So like a lot of this comes from, you're like me, we read books a lot. We find a problem or a challenge or something we want to get better at. We find a great book on it, and then we kind of like pull pieces from the book and try to implement it into our business. And there's a book called Fanatical Prospecting. Okay. And that's kind of like what drove a lot of the details of this episode. And the guy, he's written many books and he's had a successful sales career. And he talks about all the things like the stigma of a salesperson going on these junkets or boondoggles Mm -hmm. and, and having a boat, making big commission checks and getting big bonuses and stuff. It's all really competitive. It's a grind. If you think of like a professional athlete. Like, oh, yeah, he gets a $100 million contract. It's like, yeah, he eats a very specific diet. He shoots a thousand free throws a week, whatever it is. It's a grind and not everybody can do it. And that's why they earn that money. So I'm just going to read a short excerpt from the book. And here it is. So he's speaking of his business and financial rewards. He goes, all of this, all of what he achieved was courtesy of fanatical prospecting, all of it. Yet even though I know what brought me to the dance, even though I'm fully aware that prospecting generates my income, the truth is prospecting is still the hardest, most mentally exhausting part of my sales day. There's always something more fun that I would rather do. Although I know it will never get easier, the one thing that separates me from most other salespeople is this. I get over it and I do it anyway. There you go. Yeah. And you have enough confidence in, I think what it comes down to is that you have enough confidence in the transformation that you make in people's lives or their business that you're able to kind of pick yourself up off the ground and say, the next person could benefit from this. And that's kind of the way that I feel too. It's like, I know when we take over like cutting tool spend at one of our clients that we're able to reduce their tooling spend, but there's some people that have relationships and they're just not going to change. And so you move on. So I move on. And you hit the next one. So exactly. The number one reason and people say they don't have time to prospect. But you have to believe in yourself and you have to believe in the transformation that you make. Yeah, yeah. The whole first part of this book is about the mindset of like someone who can do fanatical prospecting. And it's a lot of like just your perspective and your mindset. But the number one reason people don't do it or say they can't do it is time. It's the great equalizer in business because everyone has the exact same amount of that resource, 24 hours a day for every human. And so it really comes down to like how you value your time and what you prioritize. Because when you say you don't have time, what you're really saying is, I think other things are more important than that. So I have another sales book for you that's kind of interesting. It's from a gentleman that I think has a really good sales process called Alex Goldfain. And he has a book called Five Minute Selling. And he helps you to develop a system to make sure that that prospecting is the first five minutes that you do of every morning. Yeah. What's that quote? Like, if you're going to eat a frog, do it first thing in the morning? Something like that. I never heard that quote before. I thought it was just one bite at a time. But like, it's kind of like that same notion. And we've developed this own like methodology at Zangers. And I haven't talked about it on the podcast. We call it like the Tortuga plan. So in the reason we call it Tortugas, that's like the turtle. And I call it Tortuga because one of my top account managers, Armando and I work through it together. And it just gets down to everybody in the company could have five minutes that they're doing something that makes a big impact in the company that if you do that first, 
it'll make a big difference. It's like a perfect segue into the next point because he talks about what top performers do and it's all about blocking off time. And so I'm going to read another little piece. Top performers organize their day into distinct time blocks dedicated to specific activities. They concentrate their focus. They eliminate distractions within those blocks. They develop outside territory plans that minimize drive time and inside sales plans that organize their database and resources to get the most out of each sales day. Then they delegate all the non-essential non-selling tasks to their support teams. These individuals are flexible, adaptive, and creative in their quest to maximize time for selling and minimize distractions that steal their commission checks. So he tells a story like he gets hired to be a consultant and he tells a story of, okay, we're going to do prospecting. I'm going to focus with one of your better salespeople and we're going to do prospecting. And he's like, the person sits down, he organizes his desk, he changes his background image, he builds his database, he really scans through the database and organizes everything. Three hours later, he does half hour of prospecting calls and they were really well researched, but then he goes to the next office and she goes out there. She's kind of got an organized database, but not really. And she just makes calls for two and a half hours. And so he's like, yeah, one guy was a little bit more prepared, but the other one landed two appointments for the upcoming Mm -hmm. week. And so it was really interesting. A lot of this is just, just do it. It's not anybody's favorite thing to interrupt. And we're not just saying literally like picking up the phone and cold calling. Like that's a piece of it. Right. It could be cold outreach to someone on LinkedIn. There's so many vehicles for doing this. We're not going to talk about that in this episode, but it's just the time of like going out there and finding your target buyer, the actual individual who works at your target customer and just breaking in, getting them to like give you an appointment. or Yeah. And I think with us hiring this new person right now, we've got five account managers and we're going to see some overlap between the person that's going to be our new inside sales account manager because he is free reign to contact anybody. So this comes down to, okay, now how do we utilize our CRM system well so that nobody's stepping on each other's toes? Yeah. Again, like a perfect segue because it talks about like delegating the non-essential non-selling tasks and then any sales manager who uses a CRM, which is probably most sales managers, they ask their salespeople to like update the CRM and fill things out. And that's not really selling. So the number one objective you get to that is like, well, I want to focus my time in front of customers. So I've taken steps to make it as easy as possible to get things in the CRM, but it's a valid question. If you want to maximize the time in like the golden hours of sales, why do you ask your salespeople to do administrative CRM work? So here's like an example. It just, for me, it like just depends on how easy it is for that person to just do it versus communicating it to somebody else to do. So I'll give you like an example from the book. I love some lessons on this because I don't have a good answer as far as this goes. As I was reading this part of the book, like a real life thing popped into my mind and I was like, okay, that really fits. So imagine a pyramid, you're building a pyramid. You are an Egyptian or like an Israelite and your job is to build this pyramid. Okay, I'm just kidding. No, but really, imagine a pyramid. I'm imagining a pyramid. And inside that pyramid is like wherever you go and you find your prospects. So like whatever your database is. Okay. At the bottom, you have like a bunch of companies and contacts that you have very little information about. Okay. And at the top, you have like very qualified, very detailed records. Like you know who the buyers are. You know who influences the buyer. You know exactly like what their need is. You know know the owners and all the influencers. Yeah. And the key is obviously to focus your time and energy on those that are like more likely to buy, more likely to get into your sales pipeline. But you don't ignore everything else. So you start at the top and you work through those and then you move down and you may not have as much information. But when you make that call, you maybe get stonewalled. Like they don't give you an appointment, but you learn something else. The person you asked for doesn't really work there anymore. Okay. That's going to help you for next time. So exactly. So you update the CRM and you put the new contact. Right. So now you just like moved it up the pyramid. You got more information and you could have 
different levels of your organization doing more to drive it towards the top and then have like your salespeople really focus on that top. Yep. But if nobody ever updates the CRM and it's a box instead of a pyramid and you just go in there and randomly pick up contacts and just call them with no strategy behind it, you're not going to be as efficient. Well, I know that there's been individuals who have called into my company who've utilized that as a tactic because a lot of times they'll call up and they'll just be like, hey, I'm not, they'll just get somebody random on the phone. They'll be like, hey, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just updating our records. Yeah. But then that's like kind of, they use that to move into eventually selling you in the future. I would probably say like maybe use a little bit of a different tack because that's kind of an annoying call. Yeah, I agree with you. So what would you say instead? I would just ask for a person. And then when they say they don't work there, but like, okay, who replaced them? Okay, there you go. So a lot of what I do when I make a call, and I don't do as much of this as I used to, but I just assume that I talk in like an assumptive voice. Like I would call and just be like, hey, can I speak with Jason? This is Nick from Advanced. Yeah. And it's just like, it feels like I should be talking to you and I don't sound like a right, sales exactly, guy. So exactly. they just put me through to you. Yep, yep, yep. Because these like gatekeepers are trained to like block out anything that sounds salesy. So let's just say, okay, I've got my accounts and I know who I deal with at those accounts, but I want to start prospecting. Like, how do I even start? Yeah. So everything starts with a list in sales. Yeah. Right. I love that quote. Like that's such a commonly used, but good quote. Everything starts with a list. So make a list for whatever you're selling. Like, obviously you have to have an idea who your ideal customer is, and then you have to make a list. We call it like like, our top 10 targets. Like figure out, like at Zengers, we have like our demographic and psychographic information for who we want to sell to. And that doesn't necessarily give you a list, but it helps you know where to find the list. list. Yeah, exactly. And there's some industry specific prospecting tools that I really value. Okay. So one of them is called EDA Data. It's from a company called Randall Riley. Okay. You should really like get on this podcast because they want to talk to exactly who we're talking to. But okay. if what I sell is always like a peripheral or something used on a machine tool, very similar to you, and machine tools are when they're financed, there's something called like a UCC, a, a universal commercial code that gets like right. published. So EDA data takes all of those and it like puts them on a map and tells you like where all the Haas mills are. I think I've seen those are. lists before. Yeah. A lot of like machine tool salespeople use this. Right. So if I I'm like, I sell these automated pallet delivery systems and they're a really good fit for certain five axis mills. I could just like build a list of which customers have that equipment. Yeah. Like we've used them where somebody has bought a new machine tool and we're like, okay, well, who do we need to talk to about tooling up their machine? So that would be like, if we're still thinking about that pyramid, that would be like giving us something maybe a little bit higher than the bottom of the pyramid because we at least know what kind of equipment they have, but we don't know who works there, who makes the decisions or anything like that. So we start with a list and then we just try to like push to the top. A lot of times people just start at the top, like someone who reaches out to you and says, hey, I'd like to talk. They're already pursuing you. So that should be like right at the top of what you do. I just want to tell a quick story about like, like how to move people up. So I was in the Ohio Valley region and I think this was in Tennessee and we had a gap. We had a cancellation. So we had like an hour and a half where we didn't have any sales calls to make. And when I travel with my sales guys, I don't just sit there and chill. I like have to do what I would expect them to do. Yep. So I'm like, all right, well, let's start prospecting. So we pull out EDA, we pull out like this other database we have that shows us where all the machine tool dealers are. And I find this company called Jones Machinery. And I forgot what machine tool brand they sell, but it was like, all right, cool. Like then I go into LinkedIn and I find this guy, Colin. We were dealing with a guy named Colin from Art Technologies. Do you remember like he wanted us to do a website back when we did that? And so I was like, oh, Colin works for this Jones Machinery company. I know him. So like, okay, update the records, put Colin in a new company. I give him a call. I told him what we do. And he's like, that's crazy that you called because yeah. we just had a meeting about how we want to do more like turnkey where we like provide the nice. string with the sale of the machine. So he's like, you should call this guy. So Colin gave me another guy who I should call. I updated 
the CRM with the decision maker and I didn't get a hold of the guy. It never went anywhere. But like I learned who the guy is. Right. So now you can go back to prospecting so later. I moved it up. The yeah, period. you moved it up. Another resource that they can go to who's a great sponsor of making chips is the Zometry Thomas company. Absolutely. We just talked about like 1.5 million, million buyers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. How often do you go there and try to figure out who does what when you're a complimentary product or service Absolutely. to that? So the other point that I wanted to pull out as it relates to prospecting is there's kind of this balance between like the high volume play or the personal play. Okay. And so high volume is just like sales is a numbers game. You make a ton of calls. Yeah. It's like, I remember the first person that I ever heard from as far as this goes, when Dave Ramsey was talking about how he manages his sales force, when he had a new person that came to his team and he was like, I want to make hundred thousand dollars. And then he's like, okay, well give me the plan. And then he gave him the plan. He's like, you're never going to make $100,000. And he's like, why? He's like, because you're showing that you're only going to call this many people a day. And if you call this many people a day, it's going to equate to this many times you're going to get through to somebody, this many times that you're going to close a deal and this much money that you're going to make. You need to quadruple that. Yeah. And it was all like just a numbers game with him. Yeah. And I think there's some truth to that. My book talks about this whole new school of thinking about how like the numbers game talk is dead talk. He's like, that's stupid. He's like, I promise you that's always worked and it always will work. And I think there's some truth to that, but I think there's ways to get more value out of each call. And you have to balance like how much effort you put into the prep work versus how many calls you make. And here's what I mean. So the personal play is something like this. Like I see your post about how you just went to the Mayo Clinic. Yes. When somebody says something very personal to you, mm-hmm. like if somebody calls me up and they're like, hey, I listened to this episode of Making Chips, they've got my attention. Exactly. Like you know what I mean? You're going to listen to But like it. anything else that's like where I can tell is just completely generic. I just, yeah, it's, I very rarely do I... I got the worst one I've ever gotten and I started laughing out loud and I showed it to my wife. I got this email that said L blank, T blank, C blank, blank, T. Like it was a puzzle and you had to figure out how to fill in the blanks for let's chat soon. And they're like, if you figured it out, then maybe we could get out of Oh my gosh. (laughs) I also got a terrible one where, you know how you can automate like LinkedIn messaging? Yeah. And you do it by putting like, what is it? The greater than less sign on both sides of like first name, last name, and then it'll like fill in the blanks. Yeah, yeah. Well, somebody somehow screwed that up and they basically sent me like the program side of it. So it said, dear first name. I usually don't respond to it, but I actually responded to that one in a kind of like kind of funny, but like sarcastic manner and ended up going back and forth with the person. But like, make sure you do those things correctly. Yeah, so there's an argument on each side. Like, it's all about volume because there's some truth to that. And then other people are like, it's all about the prep work and be really personal. And there's some truth to that. So find your balance. Don't let perfectionism get in the way of volume and vice versa. So... I believe that manufacturing is still going to be experiencing a renaissance in the future in 2023. So you're not obsessed with the recession? Well, I'm obsessed with being prepared Mm -hmm. for the recession. And we could talk about this a little bit in the future. But at the same time, there's so many factors that if the United States has a recession or the world has a recession, maybe manufacturing in the United States doesn't have to. Yeah, we've talked about that too. But like, I've seen it where there's been a slowdown and then all of a sudden you start hearing from people that you never heard from before. So Mm -hmm. how do you balance that? So is that the right time to start 
doing your prospecting? Yeah. So I think what you're getting at is like when things get slow or times get tough, like your people who you weren't already doing business with might reach out to you and say, hey, you got anything for me? Yeah. Because when things slow down, people have more time actually. Yeah. And they have to fill their time with something that's either going to increase their revenue or lower their costs. Yeah. But at the same time, maybe if you're the one asking, you get the business. Yeah. So there's like four points I put in here and I want you to tell me if you agree, kind of agree or disagree. This is all about reasons for why a recession might be the best time to prospect for new customers. Okay. So number one, most of your competitors will struggle or better yet cease to exist during this period. Less competition equals more opportunities. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. It's absolutely a time where your competitors may go out of business. They may get lazy. They may get depressed. And I'm a believer that when there's blood in the water, it's time to start looking for food. And I think just like an anecdotal example of this is we couldn't see as many customers during COVID. Mm -hmm. And as soon as like it was okay to fly, I was flying and I was visiting people. And three separate times, it was like, you're the first person who's been in here since the whole pandemic. So it's like, yeah, cool. Yep. Less competition. Exactly. Okay. Number two, accessibility to potential clients is easier since less salespeople are calling on them. So you're assuming that like those salespeople were let go because there's not as many of them around? No, I think the point is the whole like cold call culture is kind of going away and people are trying to do other things and prospecting's like kind of got this, oh, cold calling doesn't work anymore. I think it always works. I'm not a huge fan of cold calling. Like our new inside sales account manager is going to more be contacting people that are not hot but like warm, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? So yeah. they're buying from us just not to the extent that they can. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways to connect with somebody. And I think the telephone is still the best way. Like, yeah, I'm with you. If you can get talking to somebody. I think so, you got to hit all angles though. Yeah, telephone, sure. email, LinkedIn, all the above. That's a kind of agree one. Knock on the door, leave a flyer, whatever you can do. You scare my mail, wife. Send something in the mail. So number three, managers, directors, or simply decision makers in a company who don't want to lose their job will work very hard to look busy and be more accommodating to meet with you during a recession. Why? They want to be able to report back to their boss that they're looking for new ideas and approaches. Yeah, 100% agree with that. I just had a conversation with one of our clients who has slowed down, mostly industry specific, the reason why they're slowed down, but they were just so such gangbusters, like going crazy before that now is a time for them to focus on, okay, now how can we make improvements? And they're turning to us instead of maybe one of the incumbents to make those improvements. Yeah. So there's another real life example for that being true. And here's the fourth one. If your competitor has products that are costlier or more inefficient, now is the time to strike. They're in too weak a position to fend you off no matter how long they've been a supplier. Loyalty to brand whether it be a product, a company, or an individual, goes out the door when times are tight. I agree. I agree. And that just goes back to what I just said. Yeah. And when times are tough, people are looking for answers. They're looking for any way that they can make the best of the situation that they're in. So I think the call to action for the listener today is, if you're a salesperson, consider this for yourself. But if you're not, ask your sales team, like what percentage of their day do they spend hunting for new business? Right. And if you're the owner of the shop and you don't have a sales team, how much of your time are you spending doing this? Could you yeah. spend five minutes Is there every anyone day? to delegate some of that hunter work? Or just too. do it yourself. I think the best thing comes in. I mean, if you're the owner of a small shop, I think the best thing comes into play if you're playing the role of the salesperson. Just yeah. spend five minutes calling. I mean, call one account a day. Yeah. Set the bar super low. Yeah. Call one person. Exactly. So the book calls that C-leveling. Okay. Like when things slow down, mm -hmm. you can C-level. You can have like your CEO sell to like one of your top targets. And sometimes they get a better response than a normal salesperson would. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a call to action for our audience as well. I would like them to review our podcast. 
tell us how great we are? Yes. Five stars only. Can I make a different request? Because we do ask people to review all the time. Yeah. I have a different respect. They can do that or they can do this. This is very specific to this episode, though. I don't want them to do this one specifically. Okay. Make a review if you want to, but like do this one specifically. Okay. Help us prospect for new listeners. So if you like making chips, if you learn something from this, send this episode to a prospect. Send it to somebody that hasn't listened to the Making Chips podcast ever, or just send it to somebody that maybe hasn't listened to this episode yeah. and just show them what you learned. Every podcast app out there has a way to like text the episode to them. Just go ahead and do it and help us to prospect for new audience members, expand the metalworking nation. Awesome. Yeah. The book talks about making one more call. Like when you think you're done, make that one more call. So after this, let's record one more episode. Sounds good. But before that, we have to end the show and we do it the same way every time. How do we do it? If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com. Thank you.